0: on the two-man power tip of wrestling podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week we take a journey back in time and go back and look at the glory days the good old days of uh, professional wrestling the world wrestling federations new generation era 93 to early 97 ish each week we look at a new topic this week it's no different as we go back and we're going to do a little something interesting because of the timeline for the gentleman on the line with me. But we're going to look at the World Championship reign, the first one, of one heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. And we're going to do it with another guy who likes to break some hearts. And that is the man of steel himself, Mr. Mike Verna. us oh, yeah. The first time on this Airwaves. He's been on Diamond Conversations. He's been on Eyes Up Here. But now... We get to talk uh, your specialty. We get to talk a little
1: uh, old school WWF. Oh, my specialty indeed. I mean, that is, it's funny because it's not what I grew up on, but it's what I grew up on. Right. It's more like what I was in diapers on, but (laughs) what I grew up on. (laughs) And this was before the YouTube era. This was before the network era. So I love anything WWF at that particular time. I mean, that is what made me a wrestler today. That is what made me a fan. So I'm glad to be talking about it. I'm even more glad to be talking about it with my man, Chad. And I'm back. to. I'm, I'm actually happy to be on. Like you said, this is your third. This is our third conversation on the airwaves on a third different show. It's weird like too.
0: That. Yeah. Like and <laughs> each time it's been different. We talked literally about baseball and what you've done, you know, coaching baseball and playing baseball. We talked about with Francine, just I think more your acting stuff more than anything. Yeah. And then now we're going to talk about, you know, growing up as a fan. And that's what I think is funny about you coming on for this. You're literally in diapers at the beginning of the new generation, okay? It shows the age difference here. So I'm a good 10-plus years older than you, which, you know, I mean, some of us might look better than others. You know, you might uh, be stealing my physique a little bit, but that's, <laughs> that's another story for a different day. But the fact that you can go back and watch this stuff is fascinating to me because we talk about it on the show every single week. Is this stuff from this era worth going back and watching? Because it was technically – a down period for the WWF where they almost went out of business. So what is it about
1: this time frame that you like to go back and watch? So when I think – it is funny because you're right. They did almost go out of business. When when people think of the golden era of wrestling, they think of the 80s into like the early 90s, maybe right. 90, 1990, 1991. Right. For me, the golden era of wrestling is exactly the era you're covering on the show, which is 93, to me, I would say to about WrestleMania 17, 18. So what is that, like 2002 maybe, 2001? Yeah, just about, yep. So that to me, that's the golden era. And the reason why I view that and the reason why I think like specifically people in my generation or or even younger go back to see it is because wrestling right now is so different. It's so. I don't want to use the term politically correct or PG, even though it technically is PG on the WWE side, but. It's just very different. The storytelling is different. The characters are different. The in-ring, in-ring style is different. The raunchiness is different. And yeah, that may be me describing a Jerry Springer show during that particular time. But that is what wrestling was just mixed with Hollywood. And and everybody likes a car accident. Everybody likes a car wreck on TV, rather. Not real life, God forbid. But everyone likes to see the car wreck on TV or the big shootout. And that's what you got every single time you watched um, uh, an episode of Raw. Or anything, any kind of show that they put together in that in that time frame um, during that era, because you literally didn't know what you were going to see. You didn't know what to expect. You didn't know if uh, you know you were going to see a bloodbath. You didn't know if you were going to see Stone Cold get literally hit by a car. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, DX on in its absolute high. Uh, you know, breaking breaking down barriers, doing things that you know you would never imagine a wrestler would do on TV, especially coming from the '80s. Um, You know, the the list goes on. I can't even name it, but it just drew you in. It drew you in. I guess more on a personal level, um, to me, it was the characters and the storytelling. Uh, I think that's our biggest disconnect. From that era to now, um, the storytelling now or the storylines, maybe it's the Internet era, maybe it's uh, pulling back the, the fourth wall and, and, and letting the fans see uh, behind the curtain. It could be one of those. But the storytelling and the characters from that era will always captivate a pro wrestling fan. And, and I think the ability to go back and look at it now, that's what really gets people, you know, questioning why wrestling is the way it is today when it was like that back in the day.
0: That's, wow, that's about probably the most perfect answer I think we've ever had about looking at this (laughs) era. No, I'm serious, because it's smart, too, and you're also in the locker rooms every single weekend, and you see what it is like today and how you guys are, are, you know, and those who are are performing are held to a certain standard that pretty much is going to be impossible to beat because that era was so unique. Now, let me ask you this. Now, you mentioned characters. You mentioned storylines. What about, and and singling out Shawn Michaels here, who we're going to talk about, the superstar the main guy, the icon, the main event, is that something that's kind of lacking even in the development stage as people are coming up? Are there those standout superstars that we watched during that era?
1: Well, the interesting thing about that is is if you look at Shawn Michaels during that time frame, he would probably, to the naked eye, fit in more with the current product because, of his, <clears throat> because of his size, his style. Um, he was a high flyer when high flying wasn't really a thing. I mean... He he can high fly. Let's put it that way. Um, He was smaller, no doubt about that. He wasn't the biggest guy in the room by far. Um, So he definitely fits in more now uh, with this era of of pro wrestling than he did then. Um, But as soon as he got on the mic and as soon as he got in the ring, he really was the showstopper. He was the main event, Mr. Mr. WrestleMania. He had that ability to captivate the the audience um, more than these giants and these... um, Greek god-looking wrestlers that Vince McMahon had signed at that time. Lex Luger couldn't get over. Uh, you know, Hogan eventually had his his fizzle down. Warrior. You look at the guys that are bona fide legends in this business, and Shawn Michaels is is, is on a different level, and he doesn't even look like them. He doesn't perform like them. So you know, the, it's interesting because when you say superstar now, to me, I feel like, and this may sound kind of uh, hypocritical, but I feel like if I saw a warrior-looking pr- uh, product coming up, or if I saw a new school Hulk Hogan coming up, I would probably be more drawn to that guy than someone who looks like Shawn Michaels right now. Right. Only Because it's so rare. You don't see it. You see more of the traditional athletic body compared to the the giant wrestler that you would think of for someone who's not a fan. If you're not a fan and you think of wrestler, the first couple of people that come to your mind, the first person that comes to your mind is Hulk Hogan. And you know Hulk Hogan a day, heyday was built at 6'8", 350 pounds. So when you think of a wrestler... I think that's what you think of when you see Shawn Michaels, that's the last thing you see, you know? So it's, it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic right now, because although when you look at Shawn in the ring and you see him talk and you see his charisma, you see that superstar, but, to the naked eye, he really wasn't that. So I think I think it's 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 interesting now because I think uh, finding that superstar has to do with kind of turning the hands behind the uh, turning the hands of the clock way behind to to almost the eighties. And and I think wrestling has a beautiful way of kind of repeating itself um, with with how they. Present certain things. You see it with AEW now, with them kind of bringing back to TV fourteen, kind of, kind of touching the millennials and 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 the, the even the boomers for that matter, um, with the wrestling they kind of grew up on, um, at least from a a edgier standpoint and then you kind of see wwe right now turning the hands back with the over the top characters like they did in the 80s so it's just it's interesting how it all repeats itself um so i mean in regards to finding a superstar i think it really has to do with you know a Shawn michaels type guy breaking through and kind of not only really being edgy but also being able to perform in the ring at the same time
0: right so in this era we <laughs> obviously see the emergence of bret hart as a world champion Shawn michaels is a world champion Owen Hart is a top of the card heel, but also, you know, in that same size bracket as those guys. But on the flip side, Diesel, Razor Ramon, The Undertaker, Lex Luger, Yokozuna, still these giant, massive guys and the the ones that might have had the longer term, you know, um, impactful spots in history. Sean's and Owen's of this new generation. So it, it's a really interesting dynamic and I'm sure there's guys that salivate at the opportunity to dream match Owen Hart, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Would I be correct in saying that?
1: Uh, you'd be a hundred percent correct. I think if what happened to Owen didn't happen, I think he, A, would probably still be relatively active unless you know he decided it's not for him anymore i mean what would he what would he have been now i mean he probably would have been in his 50s he would have been
0: basically in the same class that all those guys are now probably mid-50s you know and either trainer sporadic match
1: here or there or you know uh or retired off into the sunset i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more with you but but to think you know if owen had survived like Forget about the time frame now, and and some of the guys that he could have wrestled right now. Imagine the guys like Eddie Guerrero, yeah. Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, a real a real main event feud with Shawn Michaels, and the list goes on. I mean, that's the type of stuff that we would have saw from Owen, which would have been crazy. Because I think a real Owen Hart Shawn Michaels feud during that time frame would have probably headlined match quality wise. I think it would have it would have been more of a a um interesting watch, I'll put it in that than Sean yeah. versus Brett. Because it's it's hard to say that it would have been a better match because I think Brett and Owen wrestled very similar but different at the same time. But they still had the ability to tell that story, you know, you know, crazily, which they, which is a great thing. You know, yeah. I mean even after even after the screw job happened, if they just literally pay I know there was probably some backstage things going on and Owen probably didn't want to work with Sean at the time. But imagine an Owen versus Sean match after the after the the uh the uh the screw job
0: well they have the one but it was a one and done
1: they That's what I'm the, saying. I yeah think the they December really- in
0: your house but it, w- it went nowhere because that Blackheart character didn't really resonate well we just watched Owen Hart as the whiny brother of Brett as a as a top bad guy then he breaks Steve Austin's neck and now all of a sudden just because Brett's gone he's now this edgy good guy and it really it fizzled before it even got a chance to to get
1: hot yeah it so- is And the sad thing is, is like, if you look at that era and I'm putting over the storytelling and the storylines, Vince had massive balls back then. He didn't care. He didn't have shareholders to answer to. He anytime someone questioned what he put on the TV screen, he got in their face and he basically said, screw you. Um, So Vince was on a different level in regards to that right then. So it shocked me a little bit to realize uh, to, to, to see that Vince wasn't willing to try to pull the trigger on an Owen versus Shawn Michaels feud. Yeah. Literally for what it was. You screwed my brother. You're a piece of shit. I'm going to avenge the family. And the thing that's interesting about Owen is Owen still did business after Brett left. Right. Owen, Owen became the blue blazer. Owen died because he did business. You know, so I don't think Owen would have basically said, no, I'm not doing that. I think he would have said, okay, this is this is something we're going to do. I mean, it's very similar in, in, in a much less – uh A different scenario with uh, Edge and Lita, Edge and Matt Hardy at that time. I mean, these are two guys that literally hated each other over something and they had it, they did business. They went there and they worked.
0: It's a damn good comparison. I was, uh, I think it was Madison Square Garden or the Meadowlands when Matt Hardy came back (laughs) through the crowd. That place went nuts. So I absolutely agree. That's a, uh, that's quite the comparison, but there was also a, a bald guy who drank beer and threw his middle finger up. That might have had <laughs> something to do with Owen not getting that huge push as well. So that's uh, that's another part of the story that might kind of uh, played a, another chapter that we don't know. Understandably so, <laughs> he had a little gripe, but that's okay. We're uh, we're we're fine with the one Texas rattlesnake. So Sean Michaels, okay,
1: man the, end of the three- hour.
0: Yeah, March 31st, 1996. The boyhood dream comes true. The the World Wrestling Federation championship changes hands in an unprecedented 60 plus minutes. And when I say plus, it's literally two seconds. 60 minute, two second Iron Man match with an additional, literally one minute of a sudden death. Uh, but nonetheless, the image we all know. He comes in from the rafters. He's bowing in front of the uh, the title in the middle of the ring to end it. The Iron Man match, being what it is, I am not a fan of this match. I just, I don't think it worked well on pay per view. And at the time in '96, I, I could not have been less interested in an Iron Man match. What do you think about when
1: you see it, or when have you ever you have watched this Iron Man match? So it's funny that you say that because I, it's not that I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think that it reads. It's not that it doesn't read well on pay per view. I think what it is is at that time the attention span of a wrestling fan. Was there I say greater? I think they had the ability now back then, because remember, there is no social media, there is no cell phones, there is no the internet dictating what kind of style is the cool way to wrestle. Like now, I mean basically if you worked a 60-minute Iron Man match um, on TV, I think you would probably lose the crowd. Yeah. You know bit. what I'm saying? But back then I think I think it has to do with the rise of Sean, where you know, him getting over to becoming the the massive um, Mega star that he is, um, and, and and I mean, it's it, I. Let's put it this way. I'll give you my honest opinion. I personally don't like watching a sixty minute Iron Man match. I personally yes. don't. I don't care if it's Shawn Michaels. I don't care if it's The Rock. I don't care if it's Stone Cold. I don't care if it's you know whoever the top guys in the world are um, during that respective era. I, I don't really necessarily prefer an Iron Man match. But you just mentioned the most important things about that match. The rafters, the boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels, and him on his knees at the end of the uh, the match, kissing the belt with the the sparklers going off in the background. That's all you're gonna remember. That's all you're gonna remember, and that's the thing about wrestling is wrestling is moments. If you told me, Mike, tell me your favorite moment during the match, I won't be able to tell you, but I can tell you what my favorite moments after and before the match were because that's what was memorable about it. And that's the interesting thing about I think not to fast forward and kind of get off topic, but I think that's the interesting thing about wrestling now is that they're they're playing to um an audience where it's immediate satisfaction where it's okay we're going to do a spot in the match we're going to gif it we're going to throw it on twitter and we're going to get it back then it's these are these are long lasting images in your head that you won't forget you weren't able to scroll off of it you weren't able to see it after the the event you had to watch it live and you had to remember it live so the match itself playing on pay-per-view you're probably right not the greatest thing in the world but the memories and the moments that you see from that match those really live on forever
0: Right. And it's literally, it's Vince McMahon kind of, kind of forcing the Shawn Michaels championship story down your throat because he was invested in it. Mm -hmm. He had Shawn Michaels as his top guy. Now that we know Razor Ramon was gone. Diesel was gone. They were going to lose the one, two, three kid. He wasn't a top guy at that point, but he was still a loss nonetheless. Yes. And we didn't know the NWO was even going to be what it was in three months from this date, but still. He was going with Shawn Michaels as his top guy. Brett wanted time off. He did not want anything to do with Shawn Michaels. So this was his guy. So if you watch anything about this match, it's Vince McMahon's enthusiasm that's selling the moment rather than you being invested because this is a 60-minute and two-second Iron Man match where there's only one fall and it happens in sudden death. Yeah. So technically, there's nothing that happens in the hour now. Exactly. Exactly. And last week on New Generation Declassified, we pulled up a show from 93, January 93, the Boston Garden. It was a 60-minute Ironman match with Flair and Bret Hart. They had five falls (laughs) in the match, and each one, you could tell, had an exciting finish. So if that's the difference maker in the match being memorable, to me, this is a stinker just because there's nothing happens for an hour. And it wasn't that each guy was jockeying for position. It's just that I guess neither one of them wanted to lay down in the middle
1: of the match. Bingo, bingo, bingo. (laughs) You hit it on the head. That's exactly what I was gonna cut you off about. I was like, Flair does business. Flair entertains. Flair knows how good he is. He doesn't matter if he loses or wins. These two guys at this particular time, I mean, they could you could even get them. Brett had to have five. If Brett had five punches, Sean needed six. Like that's where they were at. So the fact that it went to a sudden death it's basically probably Brett being Brett saying, All right, I guess you could beat me in sudden death, but it's gonna be something shitty. So I think you're spot on about Vince. Vince telling the story, Vince saying, Look, my soldiers are gone. This is my new captain, and you guys are gonna you guys are gonna love him. And that's Vince, Vince's genius right there. Because again, like we said, to me, you just hit it on the head. Memorable moments in the match, the sudden death win. Whoop-de-doo. Memorable moment, real memorable moments in the match, Vince McMahon screaming, the boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. So now, right after this. Okay, right after this giant moment, they have a Monday Night Raw the next night. One thing I just want to point out about it. I'm not going to run through each match. I'm not going to run through each memorable feud. He had just a couple of these on the way to losing the title in November. But just the the next night, the house for the Monday Night Raw in San Bernardino, California at the Orange Pavilion, Monday Night Raw, only 3,000 people. (laughs) So if that goes to tell you that, I know nobody knew Shawn Michaels was going to be the champion until the the pay-per-view, but still... This is the guy who's taking the ship a $3,000 uh 3,000 person venue for a Monday night raw. That's, that's really not that big, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And and maybe that's kind of why this title reign gets a little bit of shit thrown on top of it because the houses were very down at this
1: period, 3,000 people for a Monday night raw. We can't even fathom that now. No, we cannot. I mean, three, if you, if, if, when Vince gets back when WWE goes back on the road, uh, the end of the next month, um, even with COVID and any kind of precautions, even though most of the world is open at this point, um, if they ever drew three thousand people, I think the business would be in a serious, serious. We'd have a serious issue in the yes. pro wrestling business. I mean, it's bad enough they can't pull ratings, but to not be able to get live people in after a year and a half of no live wrestling—that uh, would that would really trouble me. But <clears throat> that at at that time, that's even to me. I think that's even more alarming and a little bit weirder because. When you think of that era, you think of the packed venues and every single fan in the bleed and up front had, had Oak Tag signs galore. I mean, that's another thing. That's a straight too far off topic. But those Oak Tag signs in the 90s for wrestling, I think those are just as iconic as some of the moments and matches. The opening opening of Raw's, hearing JR's voice at the time, for me at least, but I know it's, it's, it's multiple people that could have done it. But JR's voice, welcome to Monday Night Raw. And seeing oak tags galore, I think that's such a memorable thing in my eyes, personally, just my head. But um, uh, yeah, no, but three thousand people on a Monday Night Raw with a new champion who's going to be the guy—that's yeah, that's an alarming thing. I mean, that that that's literally like the term in wrestling where it's like the house is light, brother. Like the house is light.
0: And you got Ultimate Warrior on this show. You got the first title defense of Shawn Michaels on this show. It's a Monday Night Raw taping, so you're also getting three weeks worth of television. And for maybe it was a smaller venue. I've never been to the uh, the Orange Pavilion in San Bernardino, California. But 3,000 people, it's light. It's absolutely light. Uh, the first title match for Shawn Michaels ever as world champion. Uh, Shawn Michaels defeats Jerry the King Lawler <laughs> on Monday Night Raw. Nothing to shake a stick at there. So now no. they, build, they build to the Diesel Feud, uh, which, you know, Good Friends, Better Enemies is the pay-per-view at Madison Square Garden. And this is available on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out. There's a very famous tag team match, Shawn Michaels and Diesel versus Bret Hart and The Undertaker, where it starts to kind of show you, this is in February of uh, 96, that there's a rift between the, uh, the the two dudes with attitudes. When Diesel's about to leave, they build it to the pay-per-view, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Now, that match, it's pretty good. I, and I was never really a big fan of their, you know, big-time title matches, but this one is pretty good. Have you ever seen uh two dudes with attitudes exploding at good friends better enemies
1: yeah i'll be honest with you this is definitely a clip match for me Uh, okay definitely this is definitely a uh you know a scan and, and and you know the highlights you know the moments you know what i'm saying it's it's as a wrestler i'm gonna be very blunt with everybody here as a wrestler you watch matches now um personally myself at least i watch matches now from the past that can help better me in the ring, learning, studying. And, and that's not to sound ridiculous that I'm not watching mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels match because I, if you watch Shawn Michaels, you're going to learn anything, even Diesel. If you watch Diesel, you're going to learn a decent amount. Um, but I look at the guys that I really um, connect with, and I really study them to a T. During my days as a fan, you couldn't get me away from the TV. But obviously – this particular time frame, I was about five years old. So I don't think I was watching it live. <laughs> I wasn't watching it live. Uh, but so I would definitely have to like look back at, at the moments, but it, it's, it's to me, I'll put it this way. From what I remember of the match and from my, what I remember from the, 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 feud was anytime you have two legit best friends in the ring, you're going to get magic. Unfortunately, based on the other matches they had, like you said, it, there was no showstoppers. There was no member. Like that's, that's the, the best way to describe what you just said. I I was never able to watch these matches live. And the fact that I can't even tell you any other matches with Shawn Michaels and Diesel, that shows me a little concerning because they really didn't put on anything else. But uh, yeah, this is definitely probably the, the the one that stands out.
0: Yeah. They rip off the leg of, uh, I believe it's butcher Vachon or uh, not butcher. Is it one of the Vachon uh, family members? Oh, Mad Dog Vashon. They, they okay. rip off his prosthetic leg, and that becomes a fact. That's probably the most memorable thing about the whole match. <laughs> That's probably it. And also, you know, and then Shawn Michaels pins Diesel in the middle of the ring. One, two, three, which, if you've seen any Kevin Nash shoot interview, he talks about the fact that when he gave Vince his notice, he said who, who he would put over. He put over The Undertaker. He put over Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. He would not put over The Ultimate Warrior. And there you see his last match with the Fed. He's losing right in the middle of the ring to his best friend.
1: There you go. That's that's what you say. That's what you say. And, uh, but that was, no, the, And when, how how far after was the curtain call?
0: The curtain call was. Let's see. So this was Omaha, Nebraska, April twenty eighth, nineteen ninety six. I next, I think it
1: was the next month. It was May. Wasn't it? In May? Yeah, it was May.
0: Right? Let me give you. I'll give you the exact date because here's the funny part. So now they're on a ton of European tours. In between the uh, curtain call was May nineteenth, nineteen ninety six. But in between there, they're in Germany for like what looks like three weeks and then they're in kuwait for what looks like two weeks but i just want to run down a couple of these from the germany tour they and it's not even just it's all over i can't say some of these places they were they're just like uh these unbelievable uh foreign names i can't even mention all right here's who we got i'm just gonna run it down quick uh april 7th Shawn michaels pins diesel with the super kick uh april 10th Shawn michaels pins steve austin at 2703 Wow. With the super kick, okay, to April out 11th. There. Yeah, how about this one? April 11th, Shawn Michaels pins Davy Boy Smith. Uh, then back to Diesel. Then how about this? Uh, April 13th, 1996, in Germany, a 4,000 seat sellout. Shawn Michaels pins Hunter Hearst Helmsley. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, every night he's basically working with somebody different. But then you see each match is repeated. You see, it's almost like a cycle. It's the same four guys throughout this whole tour. Shawn Michaels is main eventing with. If I was going to scan it quickly, he works with Steve Austin the most. <laughs>
1: well, that's generally how it works. So that's interesting. That And it's interesting to see who he was paired up with at that particular time. You know, he's with Diesel, he's with Hunter, his two actual friends, and he's with St- Stone Cold, who's not necessarily the megastar at that time, but he's certainly on the rise. I mean, one was Austin 316 was around, was it 96?
0: Yeah, that or was 95, uh, 96. No, June,
1: June 96. So it's right, there you go. So it's, his moment is about, they know it's about to come. And then the curtain call happens and then it happens. And then there it is. That's the door right there. So go figure.
0: Yeah, and I believe that Germany tour or the Kuwaiti tour is where Bret Hart sees Steve Austin and says, "That's the guy that I want to work with when I come back." So that was a very big little
1: block. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, that, that's look at that. See, so you can you can do a whole show just based on the rise of Stone Cold from the Kuwait that Kuwait Germany tour to the curtain call to Bret's return. Because that, that's that's a lot of shit right there. That's a lot yeah, that, packed in.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. Now, how about so you mentioned the curtain call? So May 19th, 96 on the road to the curtain call, they hit the big cities. You get Baltimore, you get Philly, and then you get New York on each one of those shows. You're seeing the world champion, but he's, he's facing a different guy <laughs> on each show. He's faced, he, he faces Davy boy Smith in, um, actually, no, excuse me. That's Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, he's got diesel in the steel cage at those three big shows. So they were working it out to get to the, uh, the curtain call. We'll just touch on it quickly. It, you know, it is what it is. It's a business exposing uh, piece of history, but nonetheless, you got to look at it. It was a big deal at the time, and, and people lost their shit even then. Oh, no
1: doubt about it. No doubt about it. I think, I think, um, real, real quick on it too. But I, I think at that era specifically, before the business was totally exposed, little, little drops of breaking down the fourth ball like that was special. Yes. Uh, it was special. It was those little like Easter eggs, those little wink, wink moments back in the day that really, you know, they were awesome. They were awesome. I always I always had liked them growing up like, um, you know, you would see those little like uh, nods to like WCW that weren't so blatant. Or you would see guys that used to, you know, just they break kayfabe a little bit. And, and it, it was fun. It was fun. At that time, obviously, it was a mortal sin. And I can understand why a lot of the old timers um, were against it, because, I mean, we didn't have an Internet. You know, a lot of stuff was still protected. And, and like I said, if wrestling was able to be like that today, I would I would be in, in awe. I would love it. I would love it. Kayfabe is a beautiful thing. Um, but, yeah, looking back on, I think it was one of those beautiful moments that like you know, like it had to happen. It happened. Uh, it, it, it's it is what it is. Guy hit his last home run in a home stadium. He said goodbye. You know, well, in that case, three of them, but yeah, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it was,
0: and I'll tell you from that time and, you know, growing up in that era and I'm 14 years old in 96. So you knew they were gone. You absolutely knew before even the curtain call stuff, you knew they were on their way out. And if you, you watch WCW programming and me and Gene would hop on and be like, Hey, I, um, from my sources, I understand that big stars are leaving the world wrestling federation and they're on their way to WCW, but it's $3 a minute to call. If you want to find out, you're like, shit. So I got to see who's going to be I can't afford that $3 <laughs> a minute. And then you got to wait 10 minutes to get to the actual news. Uh, but nonetheless, great. you knew something was happening. You just didn't know what it was. And me, I was a hardcore WWF guy. So to see your soldiers leaving, it was uh, it was hurtful. Now, I mentioned to you before we started that Shawn Michaels and New York had a very, very hate, hate relationship. The Madison Square Garden crowd. Despised Shawn Michaels and especially Shawn Michaels as the champion. Now they would grow to love him again. He would be over uh, you know, in his in his later tenure in the WWE. But during this time in '96, anytime that first drum of his theme song hit, he was booed <laughs> out of the building. Now, what do you think it was? You think it was the flamboyant nature of the
1: character, the ladies loving him? What about Shawn Michaels? Do you think New Yorkers hated? <laughs> Well, as New Yorkers, uh, it could be a whole list of things. I'll tell you that much. I think New York being one of the big cities, um, when it comes to pro wrestling, New York, Philly, Boston, you know, uh, there's plenty, but especially in the tri-state area. Um, but New York being one of those major hardcore loud vocal wrestling cities, um, I would say it's kind of similar to what we did speak about um, in the beginning of this conversation, which was what they were used to. So you think of Madison Square Garden, you think of a few names, Bruno San Martino, Hulk Hogan specifically. These are, I hate to use this term on the air, but forgive me, but those are man's men pro wrestlers. If you're a man's (laughs) man, like that's that's your pro wrestlers. And then you would see Sean and you would kind of see this progressive, like new style, new wave you know, fancy um, ring gear, the the ladies, you know, the sexy boy song, the ladies love him, he's cocky, he's brash, and it's something that New Yorkers just don't like, we don't like that, you know, like New Yorkers don't like guys who think, who, who are hot, and ha- who think they're hot shit, and, and they are, you know what I'm saying, we don't like that, we're gonna make it be known, go figure, that's kind of like the uh, character I play, in a sense, so it is. My, my New Yorkers may hate that in general, but you know, they know, I, <laughs> they know I'm a New Yorker at core, so I'll never really get booed in the hometown, but. that being said, I think during that time frame, that was it, dude. I think it was like, you're coming into our house, the house that Hogan built, the house that San Martino built, and you think that you can come in here, you know, shaking your ass and, you know, kissing these ladies? No, I don't think so. And and you kind of see it now. Like, I remember going to so many Raws uh, and, and SmackDowns during my teenage years where we abused guys like John Cena, and John Cena didn't have the um you know the the appearance of sean he was he wore jean shorts he yeah. was jacked but he just new yorkers have a way of saying you want to be a baby face vince thinks you're a baby face we're gonna make you pay we're gonna hate you you know it's just one of those interesting things but i think at that time frame i think really what made new yorkers boom and, and, and him get uh one two three kid he he <laughs> uh, for the sake of this this time frame, um, <laughs> I think it was this, it, you're you're not us. You're not one of us, and that was the thing. You're you're you're, peeing, you're you're spitting in the face of Hogan. I think that was really the the nature of of, of the of the minds at that time.
0: Unbelievable. It's almost as crazy. And you're 100% on the money. And again, being very young at the time, that's exactly what the case was. I mean, nobody liked the heart-shaped glasses, the little uh, village people hat, and it did, <laughs> did not get over with the uh, the crowd. And it was 100% evident. Uh, here's the more remarkable thing. Did you know, between May 19th and the Beware of Dog pay-per-view, that these guys had a week
1: off? <laughs> Whoa, a week <laughs> off? In the 90s? Holy yeah. crap.
0: All those, all those. If you ever hear a veteran say, "Yeah, oh, we worked every day of the year," blah blah blah. I'm looking at a calendar right here. They're off from May
1: 19th to May 26th, One full week. I don't oh, want to hear it. <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> that's probably what Vince said too. Oh, we're getting back on the road. Thirty days straight. How oh, we need day off? You just had a week. God damn it.
0: <laughs> exactly so now the beware of dog pay-per-view is very famous it starts the british bulldog uh davy boy smith and Shawn michaels feud which included diana hart and jim Cornette with a hilarious uh promo calling uh, hbk everything there is in the book calling him a fornicator and a womanizer and all this great stuff uh a couple match uh pay-per-view series with these two not really the best. They had better matches about a year or so earlier. These two, maybe they were a little more jacked up. I don't know, but it just wasn't uh, wasn't good. We're going to skip over that. I want to get to Vader.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. now Vader is
0: a big, big, big part of this Shawn Michaels title yes. run because it's very well documented, and I'm yes. sure you've seen this. Yes, the outburst at SummerSlam '96 mm-hmm. where he just literally. I mean he and
1: embarrass- hold on, hold on. <laughs> Chad, hold on before before we get into the details, I gotta ask you this. Do you yeah. think that this right here before you explain what the moment is to the people who don't know, do you think this is the start of the backstage downward spiral of Shawn Michaels or do you think it's already it had already began?
0: I think this is what put it over the edge because everybody was kind of tired of his antics at this point. This is the first time it really spilled over onto the television. And then we basically I mean, it's like it popped the cherry of Shawn Michaels as a uh, kind of uh, not. I'm not going to say business exposing uh, entity, but showing his emotions and frustrations in the match kind of starts right here. Yeah, no doubt
1: about that. Continue.
0: So <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's well-documented. There's loops of it on YouTube. Jim Cornette has like 15 videos about it. I even just listened to a, a watch-along that he watched the match again for the first time oh, wow. in 25 years. But in the middle of the match with Vader and Shawn Michaels, where it was built up that this is the first real threat to the world title of Shawn Michaels, a couple miscues, a couple of uh, botched moves, and Shawn Michaels gives Vader the business in the middle of the ring. Now, as a worker, if this was something that happened to you, is this is this something that there's going to be some mega heat over, especially on television? If you are Vader or
1: if you are Shawn, if you're anybody, just give me just a general if, if, if you're anybody. So if you if you behave more like Shawn did on TV um, for that particular situation, the heat would be on you. I mean, you can't there's a level of professionalism. Everybody, especially right now in the nature of the way wrestling is, how everything's much more fast paced. Everything is much less storytelling, arguably, um, and much more acrobatic and much more athletic. Um, You're bound to mess up. You're bound to mess up. And, and, you know, so many people, for example, again, not to stray off topic, but so many people criticize AEW with that, with the botchamania stuff. But, you know, that's the type of style that a lot of people don't do. So they're unique for being able to perform that way. And that's the reason why they have such a nice buzz and, and such a great fan base behind them. Um, but you're more, it, it happens. So, so me right now, my shoes, if you acted like Sean did at that particular time, during, during, um, during a spot where, where, you know, the odds are sometimes that there could be a bot's not saying that there should be, or will be, but there could be. You know, you got to kind of move on. The professionalism is—is is you pick up where you where you left off, and you just keep going, and you make it not look like a botch. Not to again, not to get off topic, but I just had a match two weeks ago where I was concussed the night before, and I was going to work uh, because I was okay, but I said I was going to be very—I was going to refrain from bumping a lot. Um, obviously, the match gets going, and it is what it is. But we got to a spot where um, I had climbed up the top rope, and we were right before the finish, and we was—I was supposed to basically jump over the guy into a catch and then it would lead to another move. I don't remember exactly what it was, but when I got to the top rope, the guy that I was wrestling actually, um, I guess didn't really time uh, the jump properly. And he actually tripped me off the top rope. Um, So technically we botched it, but we didn't make it look like a botch. We made it look like a successful trip off the top rope. And he went to a cover. And when we got backstage, everyone was like, Oh, that was such a great spot. You landed perfectly. I was like, Motherfucker, I tripped. (laughs) I could (laughs) have cleared him. I could have cleared him. So if I was Sean at that particular time and I rolled over and said, you idiot, you could have fucking hurt me. Stay the fuck down, asshole, this, that, the other thing. I would have got back and I probably would have never worked there again. And if I did that on TV... If I, you know, what I'm saying like when I work at AEW, if I did that on TV, for, forget about it. I mean, that's it. See you later. I mean, people people at AEW get in trouble now and, and get let get let go for for speaking their mind negatively towards people or or whatnot, which is great. I think that's a great thing that Tony Khan has going right now, where he wants his locker room to be a really cohesive unit and a good place to be. And you know, no one needs to be creating any kind of uh, you know tension just because your ego's huge or or you got to do this. Um, when you botch, when people don't mesh. When you get to the locker room, you pull the work the guy that you worked with over, you have a conversation with him, you try to figure out what happened and you move on. And if a boss didn't like the match and they thought it was shitty and they thought the botch was messed up, you talk about it with the boss. You never do what Sean does on TV. If you do, if you saw that on TV right now, if the person lasted, I'd be very surprised.
0: You only see like I mean I can only pick out like a Randy Orton that could get away with that at this point, right? I mean, I mean when he, well, it, he
1: did that with Mr. Kennedy, right? If I'm yeah, not mistaken. But that was also
0: 15 years ago basically yeah. at this point. It's a long time ago, but what he does is he comes off the top, the first one that there there's a couple, but the more I think the one everybody really remembers was he's coming off the top, I think he was going to hit his elbow and he lands right on his feet yells move and kicks him right in the face. And I think he calls him a fat piece of shit or yeah. something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it is so you, there, there was no way even with the delay, you could have blocked it out with, with muting or, or anything. It was absolutely live on the air. And, and I don't know if they covered up saying, Oh, uh, Sean's frustrated that he can't get Vader compromised. This or that. Nonetheless, it was a documented point in this title reign that things were starting to fall off the rails
1: for the heartbreak kid. And it kind of killed Vader (laughs) for the rest of his time in the WWF. That's the sad thing because that's, we were talking about it right before we got into this topic about, was this the beginning of Sean's evil Sean? Let's put it that way. And if you look at it, it is, he probably went backstage and I don't know the actual backstory behind it. Maybe you do, but he probably went backstage, went into Vince's office, screamed and said, this guy's can't work. Can't do this. And meanwhile, Anybody who knows anything about wrestling knows that Vader was one of the best big workers of all time, period. Yes. Amen. So it's interesting to imagine, was Shawn really that much of a wild, evil person back then? Or was it just miscommunications or just two people were are not on the same page? But you're right. I mean, Shawn had the power to basically, you know, deep push people and, and and really put them in the back of the bus when it comes to, you know, um, rising up the ranks of of, of the WWF. So, yeah. It's a shame because that's what he did all from that one thing instead of being a professional at the time and just kind of moving, no pun intended, but moving on to the next spot. And uh, Cornette
0: says that basically he got Vader so worked up over if you fuck up, uh, I'm going to, you're you're fired, you're gone. That Vader was so focused on the match that he forgot some of the spots and he was so like literally focused on what I needed to do. That stuff got messed up and it just, uh, it really killed you know, the, the legacy, not like the legacy still there, but just the, the WWF career of Vader and it never recovered after that. And he was supposed to basically get the world title at one point, And then I guess drop it back to Sean. I don't know if it was at the Royal Rumble, but this other big uh, guy kind of gets in the way of that and the build over the next three months uh, on a different show, we could cover this, but Sid is now the topic of uh, the up and coming baby face. Now they mm-hmm. finally got Sid in a spot where, People are starting to get behind him. The power bomb's really getting over. He's, uh, he, we know him as a bad guy, but he's he's kind of beating everybody's ass. And why? Why do we yeah, love cool. him? But, but Shawn Michaels is still there. He has probably the match of his entire title reign with uh, Mick Foley at Mind Games in Philly, which, as a student of the game, that's one I think you could watch from start to finish because there is a lot to uh, kind of digest Yes, it. 100%. It's it's the match that made Mick Foley I think kind of stand out in the WWF more than anything. But at that era, yes, at that and, era, yes, and it was a big deal, Mike. I remember very very well. It was on my birthday in 1996. It was well. the, uh, it was a show that really made you look differently at at Cactus Jack. You knew who it was. You just you looked at him as this guy is now a main event player. Um, but between September and then November, Shawn Michaels is kind of eh, he's the champ, but there's really nothing standout going on. There's really nothing that you want to see except for this. And this is the last thing I want to mention before we get to Survivor Series and before we wrap it up. Jose Lothario, Shawn Michaels' trainer. Yes. Why the hell would they pair this older man with this young, sexy boy, flamboyant (laughs) world champion? And that became the focus of everything on TV with Shawn Michaels. It was that Jose Lothario was feuding with Jim Cornette so if it weighed him down, it absolutely did. What do you think about
1: Super Sock Jose Lothario as the corner man for the world champ? Dude, I'm so happy you brought that up because that was something, <laughs> like that was never something I was able to understand. I understand him coming up. I remember one of his first matches, he had Lothario in his corner. And it was like, oh, Jose Lothario's a prize student, Shawn Michaels. Like, yeah, it's a great introductory. But if you don't build anything, let me backtrack here because here's the interesting thing. As I'm saying this, and I'm talking to you as a worker. This is how I view it. The difference between fans—it's—I it's, can't even—I can't even really compare fans then and now because I feel like any wrestling fan can get behind it if it's portrayed correctly. So, to the naked eye, on black and white, you look at it. It's a typical "don't judge a book by its cover" because you see this, and you—and I just said it—you never understood it. Like this guy, they don't look good together. They don't—you can't pair them together. Sean doesn't need anybody there. Why are we building a feud over this guy when Sean's this? Correct. But the beauty behind it, which I think came from the writers at the time, and there wasn't writers, it was Vince Jr., Jim Cornette, whoever, Bruce Prichard, whoever was really running the show, is they turned around they said, can we emotionally get the people to sympathize with Jose Lothario and maybe make Sean more of a babyface babyface as he's defending him? Right. Because that's how I view things like that. Like, as a wrestler, if I was to tell a story where someone was jumping my trainer and the fans knew to an extent, oh, Mike Verna was trained by Joel Maximo. If the fans know that, and there's Joel Maximo showing up on a show, and this mega heel is beating the shit out of him, but everybody knows already the backstage history between these two. Not even on screen, off screen. They know they're really friends. He's really his trainer. That can connect people. That can make people turn around and say, that is a that is a feud I want to see. That is a that is something that I, emotionally connects me to it. The thing is, is you have Jose Letharria, who can't really match up to Jim Cornette's uh, charisma, in my opinion, and you have Shawn Michaels, who... Both on screen and off screen is kind of a wild horse, you know. A dog, you know, he's just he's 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 a loose cannon. So you really can't invest into it. That's the sad thing about it. I don't think you can really invest into it. I think if Sean was able to kind of run with it and to a point where he wasn't the main focus twenty four seven, I think maybe we could have gotten something emotional out of it. But I think it was just a weird it just didn't match. You know, it just didn't, it didn't connect. And I think that's, that's probably your same feelings.
0: Yeah. It was not good. And when and I <laughs> grew up at the time, you didn't get it. You're like, this guy is a sexy boy. So when he's going back to the hotel, does he have to put like Jose to sleep before he goes out to yeah, uh, the car? Yeah, exactly. It's like little right? Jose
1: with his glasses. and like, yeah. hat.
0: It's like, come on and nothing against Jose Lothario. The other thing I didn't get about it was he wasn't a Northeast guy. We didn't know who he was. We maybe heard about him by reading a book or a magazine, but he wasn't a guy that you would say, Oh, that's a WWF luminary Jose Lothario. No, he was a San Antonio guy. He he was legit a Texas wrestler. He wasn't a Northeast star. So that's what also I think kind of hurt it too. And, he would play into the finish. Shawn Michaels loses the belt at Survivor Series 1996. One of the shows I'll point to and say I feel like I knew everybody in attendance that night because everybody who I talked to that was a wrestling fan was there except for me. Uh, how about this for a house? 18,000 at Madison Square Garden. Sounds
1: sounds like a New York crowd.
0: And Survivor Series, which we all know is Bret Hart and Steve Austin, Bret Hart's comeback match. Yep. And uh, Shawn Michaels, Sid, main event, uh, November 17th, 1996. Uh, I personally was also getting ready for November to remember, which was the following weekend uh, yeah, <laughs> for ECW. That, that, was a, that was a damn good show as well. But with this one, Sid defeats Shawn Michaels, uses a camera from the uh, the cameraman at ringside, Knox uh, Jose Lothario, Off the apron, who supposedly has a quote, and I love WWF verbiage, a cardiac incident to uh, not say heart attack on the air. Shawn Michaels tends to him, Sid uses the camera on him, powerbomb one, two, three, the Psycho Sid era starts. The Shawn Michaels title reign is over. Eight months, and it felt like it was a, a roller coaster of a downward motion
1: yeah i mean when did sean get it back the rumble right was it- he
0: gets it back at the rumble but it's it's very weird it just it it seemed forced it, it would it didn't seem like uh even though it was a big it was a huge venue it was in san antonio it was a home turf kind of show home turf it just didn't work personally that's how i feel
1: you're saying the 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 him getting the belt back getting the belt
0: back it just did it with a match kind of stunk this one was much better the survivor series match yes. a thousand times better yeah it just, I just don't know. It just didn't click for me personally, but he gets it back. Okay, great. But then guess what? He never loses it. He hands it over. The loser's is smile. smile. That's, and that's smile. really it. And that's, that's a smile.
1: Well, that, that you just, you took the answer out, the words out of my mouth. Being that we knew that he never lost it and gave it up. The force aspect of it, would you say that, and again, this is me asking you, because you, you might know more than me at this particular situation. Uh, was that just Sean saying, I want the belt back?
0: that's the way i remembered it
1: no that's the way i remembered it i'm pretty sure too that's that's how i recall as well i remember i'm not sure if they did that on the sean brett dvd that came out in like 2010 the sit down yeah um and i'm pretty sure there was a moment i don't know if brett said it or or sean admitted to it where he's like i just want the belt back yeah uh i think that that's what it was and that just shows it's like that's where sean was at at that time and the sad the sick part is is like he said that to Vince and Vince gave him the belt back, you know, yeah. only to only to give it back right Right back. It just it was a, this was the this is just weirdness. Like this is Sean, Sean entering his demon mode. Like we're at the point now where it's like from 93 to, Shawn, to now, you see the rise of Sean. You see the excitement. You see the the OK, I can get behind him into this into the heartbreak kid. And, and you just see all these transitional things to Sean. And now we're at Sean with the braided ponytail and things are weird.
0: Very weird. And it's, uh you know, Brett comes back in November. He faces uh, Sid in December. That match kind of forgettable. Nothing really uh, to write home about.
1: Definitely. But
0: it <laughs> leads to that odd fatal four-way or f- final four match in February, which leads to this weird back-and-forth title thing with Brett and Sid on a Monday Night Raw with a, a start-and-stop match where Sid gets the belt back after Brett wins it at final four, only for then to the supposed – Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, title match to never happen at WrestleMania 13, <laughs> leading to Austin getting that part of WrestleMania 13 and changing probably the face of the business that night at WrestleMania
1: 13. 100%. Now, who would have, uh, like, what happens if Shawn didn't lose his smile? You never you, know. You never know, right? You just never know. It's it's crazy. Like, WrestleMania 13, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that that's that's the, that's the, that's, that's stone cold. That's the, that's the moment. That's the moment he's made. You know, it's like, Sean doesn't do it. And then Sean comes back and he loses to Stone Cold at WrestleMania 15 or uh, 14, right? Was it WrestleMania 14?
0: 14, yep. 14, yeah. So he
1: loses to. you know, it's just like, look how it could have been. It could have been Sean, WrestleMania 13, Sean, WrestleMania 14. Stone Cold may have never existed. You know, it's like, you think about it. The click is the reason for the beginning of Sean yeah triple h, triple h taking the heat at the king of the ring uh the trip um the click is the, the, the yeah i know uh, i got you I know, yeah okay. the reason of stone cold the click uh triple h at the king of the ring being the scapegoat sean being sean into wrestlemania 14 it's like would stone cold ever exist if there wasn't the click and the click being crazy
0: <laughs> he might have just been uh, one of the best workers on the card That's and that it. was it just might have been
1: stunning seed he might have still been wrestling now who yeah. knows because he didn't get hurt and he didn't do all those things
0: yeah it's a damn fine point. All right, well, let me ask you this before we uh, we wrap up, say goodbye. Give me a a letter grade on the eight month reign of Shaw Michaels, March to November. We mentioned the more of the highlights, you know, in between the houses were down. We also didn't mention the ratings. The ratings were down. They were going up against the NWO. Where do you kind of give this a letter grade?
1: Uh, you know, it's 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 tough. I'll tell you why. Because if I was watching it live and I was able to watch on a weekly basis and really see. rise of sean as champion i would probably give it more of a um a truthful uh rating but looking back at it as a as a a pro wrestler now and as a as a fan and student of the game you kind of have to grade it high and the only reason why i say this is because it's still iconic it's still like i said from the beginning as soon as you hear the iconic moments of the boyhood dream has come true from sean for Shawn michaels that right there is a moment as a wrestler, as a wrestling fan, that lives on forever. So you look at that iconic moment and how timeless it is, and you kind of have to give it a little bit of respect. You kind of have to tip your cap to it a little bit. Now, was it underwhelming? Eight months? Yeah, it was an underwhelming eight months from from you know an in the ring standpoint, maybe a storyline standpoint. But it's it's at the same time it's not. So I want to give it. I want to give it a solid seven. I want to give it a solid seven because it's it it didn't pro- it didn't provide anything to me that made me a diehard Sean fan because I'm Sean is not Sean is my in my top five of workers of all time, but Sean is not one of my favorites. He was never one of my personal favorites. If Sean, if that era of Sean Michaels was able to captivate me when I was able to watch it back during my time, that then I may have graded a bit higher. I may have even given a 10, a fair 10, but I'm going to give it a seven only because I respect what memories it it, it entails. I respect the fact that it started the iconic Bretton, Bretton, Sean saga, and 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 it really started Shawn, so we can't we can't downgrade that. It's the beginning of Shawn Michaels. Period. Amen. We have to show respect to that.
0: I'll give it a five, only because going to those shows at the time. Yes, yeah, so you have it, definitely
1: have a more more yeah. appropriate thing.
0: There was definitely a lackluster feel to that summer and early fall to the WWF shows. I mean, even going to one in February '96, where he was uh, he was in the main event, but he wasn't the champ. It was him and Yokozuna against uh, Bulldog and Owen. And he, the place went nuts. It was the Metal Lands place went nuts when he came out. That's February. Fast forward three months later, he's getting booted out of the building. And it was just that you could feel it up and down the card. It was a lackluster show, um, when he was the champ. So I got to give it a five. But for the nostalgia and the memories, I'll give it the five also.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, like I said, I you, you lived it. You lived it. You have definitely have a more realistic, appropriate rating for it. I just go back at it from a standpoint of. This is something I was able to look at, look back at. This is something that created one of the, t- the best wrestlers of all time, if not the greatest wrestler of all time. Um, and for those those reasons alone, I, I have to maybe give it a seven. But like you said, lackluster, nothing super memorable. But it started the Brett the Brett uh, Shawn saga, and and it and it was the start of Shawn Michaels himself. So, gotta give it something.
0: I agree. So we we'll go five and seven. All right, Mike. Before we say goodbye, please share with the listeners uh where they can find you on social media. Now, this will probably not air until next week. So okay. don't give out where you're gonna be this weekend. No worries, but no <laughs> worries. Do the vague, you know, this is where you can find me kind of uh, promotion right now.
1: Fair enough. Well, Chad, as always, I gotta give you props first because you are one of my 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 favorite conversations. You're my boy. That's uh, right. Let's go, let's go Mets. That's first of all, more than anything. <laughs> <Yeah. Why laughs> we, wait, we gotta mention they're in first place as we record. Oh, yeah. So First we'll just mention fans, that. Baby. I'm after. sure me and Chad by September, October may have a a hopefully, a, fingers crossed, a postseason preview show. Yeah. That's 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 a must. I won't say it. I said hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, to anyone listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with every single pro wrestler during the pandemic. The world is open now. Let's have fun. We can stay safe and still see pro wrestling. So thank you for that. Um, You can find me at Man of Steel MV on all social media platforms. Uh, Give me a follow. I definitely appreciate that. And we got some big shows coming up. I won't date them just because we'll wait to see when the the show airs. But Northeast Wrestling on the Horizon, Chaotic Wrestling on the Horizon, Invictus Pro Wrestling on the Horizons. And who knows? You may back in the to uh, yeah, see me at the old uh jacksonville uh arena sooner or later
0: hmm, interesting yes very uh, very interested to see where uh, this gentleman ends up again you you gave me it's a mutual admiration society you gave me some props i give it to you you one of the only guys i like to follow in terms of the independent wrestling scene he mike is a physical specimen he puts a shit ton of time into his work and he's a hell of an actor as well. So I'm not going to discount that for him. So please support Mike Verna and everything he's got because you never know where he's going to end up. And that's where I can uh, leave it at that. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Instagram and Twitter. My website is IBExclusives.com. Check out all my autograph signings I got coming up over there. This website is TMPTEmpire.com. You catch all our podcasts under the TMPT. Umbrella, including our association with the Vince Russo, Russo brand and the franchise. Shane Douglas, the triple threat podcast on the Russo brand every single week. The franchise's brand of podcasting and me and JP are just there for the ride. And uh, we love doing that show, but also ECW diva Francine. Patreon. My girl. Yeah, yeah. She's, you're one of her favorites too. Uh, Patreon.com slash Francine podcast, the Eyes Up Here universe, four shows per week, only on Patreon as well as the Creative Control Network. That's enough. There's, that's <laughs> too I, I'm running out of breath. You're, working, out, of you're out here
1: working, brother. You're out here working.
0: Hey, if if there's a moment spared, then uh, I gotta make it, I gotta make up for it. So we'll say goodbye for Mike Verna. This is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. What the world is downloading.